Welcome back to the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. This week we're joined by NFL MVP Aaron Rodgers. This episode of the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick is brought to you by SeatGeek, the smartest way to buy and sell tickets. Hey, it's JJ Reddick. Whatever you're wearing right now, Mack Weldon is better. Mack Weldon believes in smart design, premium fabrics, and simple shopping. Mack Weldon will be the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershorts, hoodies, and sweatpants that you will ever wear. And Mack Weldon wants you to be comfortable. So if you don't like your first pair, you can keep it and they will still refund you. No questions asked. They aren't just comfortable. Mack Weldon looks good and it performs well too. It's good for everyday life, going to work, going on dates, and working out. All of their products are naturally antimicrobial, which means they eliminate odor. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off using promo code JJ. Easy shopping, great customer service, good-looking, super comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, and hoodies. MacWeldon.com, 20% off using promo code JJ. Yahoo Sports presents the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick, powered by Digital Media. Find your voice. And now, your host, J.J. Reddick. Welcome back to the Vertical Podcast with J.J. Reddick. Just want to say how excited I am for this week's guest. One of my favorite athletes, maybe ever, definitely one of my favorite current athletes, Green Bay Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers. Aaron, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, J.J. I never knew that. I appreciate that compliment. You know how it is with athletes, man. Like, some athletes... You just respect. You respect the way they carry themselves. Uh, you and I, we got to know each other just a tad back when I was in Milwaukee, um, but haven't talked a ton. But I really mean that. Um, I've always appreciated uh, your work ethic, your approach to your job and your craft, and uh, just really respect you, man. Well, thanks a lot, man. You as well. We nearly became best friends, by the way. It was in the works, man. It was there for, for sure. like two months. So you were at a Lakers game like two weeks ago, and uh, we were kind of joking about it, and I told you that Milwaukee didn't even call me during free agency, so it, it wasn't really an option. I find you that were hard good... to believe. I, I, I thought that maybe it was just a draw of L.A. over Milwaukee, which I don't blame you. Well, L.A. is a great spot. I actually think, I'm glad you brought that up, because this is one of the things I wanted to talk about. I think Wisconsin is underrated. I really do. And a lot of people now that I'm on LA, you know, they make these like snide remarks about my my two months in Milwaukee. And I gotta say, I actually really enjoyed Milwaukee. The city is pretty awesome. First of all, it's beautiful, Lake Michigan, great restaurants, you know, there's a Brewers game. Had I stayed and re signed there, I would have came to some Packers games. What are some of your favorite things about Milwaukee and Wisconsin and Green Bay? Uh, well, I mean, the people, you have to start there. I mean, there's some incredible, uh, just good-hearted, uh, blue-collar folks in uh, in the entire state. Love that. They love our fans. I mean, we've got such loyal, passionate, emotional, you know, diligent fans. I mean, they, they travel well. They're incredible at Lambeau. They love seeing you out and about. They live for the season. It's it's really unlike any other place I think in the country to play. We're the uh, the only North American organization to not have a true owner, which makes uh, you know a really unique bond between the players and our fans, uh, as they feel really invested. And, and many of them actually are the ones that live in Brown County. In 2003, to help with the stadium project, I actually paid 
a higher percentage of sales tax. So it's uh, some special people out here. I'm, I'm definitely fortunate to play out here. And I, I love Milwaukee. I think. like to go to Carnivore a lot. Uh, Omar is a buddy down there. Uh, yeah. but, the, but the downtown's great. I love uh, – I would like to see a new gym there. But the Bradley Center has uh, been fun to go to over the years and Miller Park as well. You know, it's not downtown, but uh, they really built a heck of a stadium out there. Yeah, I, I would say the Bradley Center is, is not necessarily one of the nicer arenas in the NBA. That's not an opinion, more of a fact. And really, really <laughs> interested. No, I'm serious. It's, I mean, I, you know, I went there during the winter, man, and you, you get there on a Saturday morning for shoot-around, and it's like 12 degrees outside, and it's it's probably 15 degrees inside the arena. Uh, is is a little depressing, but you know I, I am very interested to see the final product on that arena. The designs and the and the kind of sketches I've seen are really cool and and always good when uh, when an NBA team gets a new arena. You actually played basketball growing up. Is that is that right? Are you one of those NFL guys who thinks they could play in the NBA? No, I mean I'm 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 six two, uh, white and mildly athletic, so I, I uh, I'm pretty realistic about that. I did play growing up, and then. Uh, you know, actually one year in high school, but uh, I had a couple of buddies who played for Santa Clara and used to go down there and play some open gym with them. And I think I could have played somewhere. I mean, there's 300 and some odd teams in Division One, so I'd like to think I could have found one spot where I would have been able to at least see uh, seventh or eighth man minutes uh, at some point. But uh, I'm, I'm very realistic. I'm, I'm in the right sport. You, on the other hand, obviously, you've proven that you can be uh, you know, under 6'8", uh, naturally born here and, and, uh, and last in the league for a long time. I'm proud of you for that, buddy. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. I have a unique skill set. You, uh, you do. Congrats. I know you you're, I know you're, you're the league in the, you know the yeah. league stream percentage this year. I did this year, man. I didn't, I only made yeah, half right? as many as Steph, but, um, I, I made him at a higher clip. I guess that's something. Uh, you're friends with Drew Gooden. Is that right? Or did y'all play against each other growing up? How, what's that connection? I know you, you both of y'all from California, <laughs> but what is that connection? You know what? That's a great story. Uh, I, uh, I'm a gamer. I play Xbox. Not as much uh, as I used to, but, uh, used to play a lot of NBA 2K, and when he was on the Bucks, I would uh, make a point to, to torment anybody who challenged me to dominate them with Drew Gooden because for some reason on the game he had an incredible ability to make the mid-range shot. Um, <laughs> his you know his mid-range rating is off the chart, so that's how it kind of started. And then a friend of mine that got me a signed a signed jersey uh, from Drew, and going to the games, uh, he's from uh, the Bay Area. I'm from uh, Northern California as well, so we just got to know each other a little bit and. You know, he's a character, man. So we've kept in touch a little bit over the years. But it started with just uh, dominating with him on uh, on NBA 2K and kind of grew into a friendship from there. That's actually a great story. A lot of people don't That's know this about Drew. That's where all the best stories start, online gaming. I know, right? Online gaming. That's where the old Adam Morrison and me had some rivalry online playing Halo, which was untrue. But um, oh, a lot of people don't Halo know this about 3. Drew. Drew went to Napa Middle School. Did you know that? I didn't know. I didn't know that. Yeah, so I, I didn't know this either, but Drew told me this while I played with him, and we were teammates, and apparently he's got crazy connections in Napa Valley. And picturing Drew now and picturing him as a middle schooler going to Napa Middle School, it's just like it's such a weird juxtaposition. But he's literally one of the all-time greats, one of my favorite teammates I've ever had. I want to get to your off-season training. You're in Green Bay right now. Take me through your progression once the season ends you know, mentally where you go, physically what your goals are, uh, and kind of your routine. The last couple of years I've started working out in Los Angeles in the off season, living there and working out. And so uh, there's a good group that works out up in uh, the Calabasas area 
that I've uh, kind of latched on to. A lot of NFL guys, a couple NBA former guys. I saw Kenyon Martin and Al Harrington in there uh, a few weeks ago. Um, but uh, but that's kind of where uh, where I get my training. And this off season was different because I had uh, a knee scope two days after the season, so I had a lot of rehab to do. So I kind of got back into things a little quicker than usual. Usually I take about a month off of uh, any uh, strenuous activities, minus cardio and yoga, and just try and eat right and let my joints heal a little bit. And then, you know, the older you get, you got to kind of get back into it a little bit quicker. Uh, so I got back in a little quicker this year, and, and the rehab helped with that because I was in the gym every day uh, taking care of my knee and getting ready uh, to be back here. So, you know, I think as you probably do, you know, it's you really, as you get older, you find that routine that works in the off season, and you realize, I think more than ever, how important eating is to peak performance. So I've really been focusing on my eating habits, my diet, trying to go to a more plant-based diet as a whole, raw foods, organic stuff. Um, you know, avoid the G word, gluten, and uh, and try and uh, eat as clean as possible. And I really feel like it's helped me uh, be in really good shape coming back this year better than I have been in a while. And that's the goal every year, just to keep on uh, maintaining and improving your habits so you can last as long as you possibly can in this league. I think you bring up an interesting point. I think a lot of athletes now are paying more and more attention to their diet and, and what they put in their body. The other thing you, you said, which I find really interesting, is just as you've gotten older, your routine has changed a little bit. I know for me as well, it's not necessarily about you know working harder. It's about working smarter. And, um, and for me, that's been really beneficial as my career has progressed because you put a lot of miles on your body no matter what sport you play as you get older and, and recovery is different. And, and again, that's where diet can mean so much. Early in your career you didn't play a lot your first few years and you were behind one of the greatest QBs ever in Brett Favre. And I believe it was your fourth year that, that you finally became the full-time starter. You know, it, there's a lot of parallels with a lot of athletes that have to play behind great players or, you know, maybe aren't ready right away to play mentally. How challenging was that your first few years? Was there ever a loss of confidence or was it just about maintaining your sanity while being patient? Well, that's a great question. I've never had a phrase that way about the sanity part because that's really a struggle the first year uh, for any anybody who's been you know a big time player at a at a lower level and bumped up you know to the professional ranks. Uh, you go from being the guy on your college team to just another guy who was the guy on their previous team. Um, you know, you're with the best of the best, and um, you know I think it's an ego check at first. You really gotta in the work to get better and for me uh, there wasn't the pressure to, to play right away which really helped my development I think because I never lost confidence as some young quarterbacks do when I get thrown in there with not a great team around them struggle lose a lot of games and lose that confidence which is one of the most important traits of any professional athlete especially the quarterback position because you have to inspire your teammates with your confidence every time you take the field so I had the, the opportunity to kind of really come along at a slow pace for three years and I learned the game. I had two meaningful game experiences, one when we were down by four scores to New England, the other when we were down to a, a very good Dallas team. That was my third year when I showed uh, probably the first flashes minus preseason games of uh, my ability and, and uh, you know what I could offer to a team in the future. And That was exciting for me. That, uh, that really bumped my confidence up. Not that I it wavered, but uh, your teammates need to see you do it in a game situation regardless of how many times you do it in practice, and that was a big 
a big step forward for me, and, and uh, the rest kind of fell into place uh, along the way through some adversity. As you, as you know, you you learn, you improve every year. I mean, uh, watching your development over the years has been uh, been really impressive. It's, it's, you've become, you know, one of the best, if not the best, shooters in the league, and your percentage bears that out, and you're a big-time contributor. And you know, It's just about doing it year after year and being consistent, and, and uh, that's how you get that respect. Yeah, for me, though, there was like a loss of confidence. And, and I bring up that word like initially the, the part about maintaining your sanity while being patient because for me that was really tough. And, uh, you know, similar to you, I, I was a, you know, a big-time college player and not playing initially mentally was so difficult. And, you know, I, I can remember one time driving home through Windermere after a game in which I, I got a DNP CD and – uh and I literally wanted to drive my truck into Lake Butler. Like I, I was that frustrated. And it's really difficult to go through that and and not have self doubt. And for me, watching you, you're you're such a confident leader. You're such a I don't I don't want to say gunslinger, but you know the pizzazz that you play with. It, it's really surprising to me that you never did have a loss of maybe not confidence, but you never doubted yourself ever. You never thought to yourself, oh, man, I'm not going to get my chance. Or was it just a matter of, no, I've got to be patient? Well, I mean, those doubts, they creep in from time to time, but you know, you just have to realize the situation. For me, it was different because uh, I had uh, you know a Hall of Famer in front of me who yeah. was in the, the back end of his career but was playing playing pretty well and, and, uh, and wasn't going anywhere until he wanted to, to be done. So I kind of right. knew my fate for the first at least couple of years. The third year, as I really felt like I took a big step in the preseason, you know, that's when I, you know, we were, I think we finished 13 and three that year. Uh, but there were definitely games where you're like, man, Brett's having a good year. Is he going to have another year? I'm feeling like I can play now. Am I ever going to get that opportunity? You know, when's that going to come? And I remember I was laying, I was living in San Diego at the time in the off season and, uh, you know, in March and I woke up and had like a hundred text messages on my phone. I said, what just happened? Hopefully nobody died. And it was actually that Brett had <laughs> retired. And that's when you get that surge of, uh, of excitement knowing that your time is here. And, yeah. and, uh, yeah. and then also the, you know, the sobering fact that, you know, okay, now I got to produce, I got to make them feel like they made a good decision. Aaron, everyone knows being a QB in the NFL is incredibly challenging. Every season is going to have its ups and downs, but one thing you should never have to worry about is looking good when you're off the field. Am I right? Well, now it's easier than ever for everyone to look good with Indochino. Indochino is reinventing men's fashion, and a made-to-measure suit is the best suit you will ever own. Be unique, look good, feel good. Get a one-of-a-kind made-to-measure suit from Indochino where you customize the details that you want. Pick your lining, lapels, personal monogram, and more. I mean, think about this. There are 14 unique measurements that go into an Indochino suit to make it fit you perfectly. This thing will fit your body like a glove. It'll look like you're born in it. And they also make made-to-measure dress shirts and men's accessories. I'm telling you, this stuff is great. And thanks to Indochino, made-to-measure suits are now affordable and available to the masses. They're one-of-a-kind, and they're way better than a generic off-the-rack suit. When you look good, you'll feel good, and you'll feel confident. Plus... There's a money-back guarantee. Now, listen up because they're offering an awesome deal just for my listeners. Today, get any premium suit for just $399 at Indochino.com when entering the code JJ at checkout. That's up to 50% off, and shipping is free. I mean, seriously, you can't go wrong. 
There's absolutely no reason not to try your first custom-made suit with a deal this good. And a suit classic from their premium collection will look good, feel good, and last. So support them like they support this podcast. Go to Indochino.com and enter the promo code JJ for any premium suit for just $399 and free shipping. Indochino, your look, your way. You're listening to The Vertical Podcast with J.J. Reddick. The QB position is such a, uh, a unique position. I've talked about this with a few of my teammates, but there's really no other position like it in sports, especially for a team sport. There's obviously a lot of pressure. I would say the majority of QBs are, are essentially the faces of the franchise. I mean, you can compare it, I guess, in a, in a tactical way to you know a point guard in basketball, but it, it's really not that simple. How aware are you, not necessarily early in your career, but but now as an MVP and all that, how aware are you of the pressure, the expectations, uh, even maybe your legacy and where you stand amongst the all-time greats? Well, I'm aware of all that. Uh, I think you have to find a way to really embrace that pressure and that fear of failure. I think that you know, both those things can be crippling to someone who's not mentally tough because it can be overwhelming knowing the the expectations that are on you and the pressure and the spotlight and uh, you know and the possibility of failure every time you take the field of the court and I think you have to embrace uh, the spotlight you have to embrace the moments and you have to embrace the opportunity you have I love the challenge I love the opportunity to go out there and have my teammates count on me the fans the coaching staff the organization to play at my best uh, that's the kind of pressure that I that I thrive on and as far as the legacy is concerned, I think you know you're aware of it. I'm a I've been a football fan as long as I can remember. Watching uh, 49ers when I was living in Northern California growing up, and watching the Super Bowl every year, and dreaming about playing in the league. You dreamt uh, about uh, being the guy on a team and, and being, you know, the Joe Montana, the Steve Young, the Dan, the Dan Marino, the Jim Kelly of uh, of a team. And, and it's fun to be able to, to live out that dream. But you know that you're in some pretty good company when you when you win a Super Bowl and you win a couple MVPs. You know, it's pretty special. Yeah, decent company. You know, the NFL draft's coming up every year. There's a there's a lot of emphasis on which QBs are going to be taken in the first round. And, uh, you know, it seems like the position is a very hard position to fill. And, and I don't want to speak out of turn here, but it seems like there's somewhat of a drop-off between an elite QB, a really good QB, and then kind of everyone else. As guys come into the league, you know, besides physical talent and, and ability, what do you think the biggest characteristics that a QB needs to have in order to be successful in the NFL? Well, we said confidence. Uh, another kind of way to say that is mental toughness, the ability to deal with adversity and to deal with the ups and downs and, and the pressure that we just talked about. Uh, that's a, a characteristic that not, uh, not all these guys have. You know, in this era, where uh, you know there's so much exposure, especially at a young age with the camps and the uh, you know attracting these kids since they're freshmen in high school and being the blue chip uh, athletes, uh, they're used to the spotlight. But you know, are we uh, are we training them on how to deal with the adversity at the same time? I'm, I'm not so sure in that respect. So I think that's one area where you, it's it's an intangible, um, and that's where I always felt like I kind of brought a little something more to the field when I was being drafted because uh, as far as my measurables, you know, I was 6'2", 223, I ran 4'7", you know, nothing was jumping off the charts, but I knew that I had uh, 
mental toughness, physical toughness to deal with injuries, and uh, kind of that moxie to step in the huddle and get guys to follow me. Those are the things that you can't measure that, uh, you know, as, as you well know, that uh, often separate us from the rest of the guys who uh, maybe have been uh, always been the, the best of the best since a young age and, and don't really know how to deal with the adversity. So it's that mental and uh, physical toughness that, that often separates the guys who are going to be uh, okay and the guys who are going to be franchise quarterbacks. Yeah, so much of success in sport, not just the quarterback position, is mental toughness and, and just the ability to deal with adversity. You brought up something. You can't measure those things, but something you can measure is your release, and, and that's a skill. And in basketball, if you think about guys like Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, these guys that have quick releases, it's something that they've worked on, they've developed. For you, throwing a football, uh, how much of that was just natural ability in terms of being able to make reads and and, um, and make plays, but how much of it was also studying film and, and just the work and preparation that goes into that? Well, I'd say a good amount of both. I mean, there's, there's the natural ability. I was you know, a very good baseball player, a good pitcher, and was always able to, uh, to throw the ball to velocity at every level. Changed my mechanics over the years. Uh, when Jeff Tepper got me a cow, we moved the, my ball carriage from, you know, around the uh, around the chest to up a la Johnny Unitas up by the ear. He called it on the shelf. And as I got drafted, uh, I naturally tried to move the ball back to a more uh, normal position. So uh, my release has always been quick, but my mechanics have, have uh, changed and adjusted over the years. But, you know, you have to be... As much as you watch film of, of opponents, you have to be very critical of your own film and, and continue to try and look for ways to get better. And it's for me, it's about footwork, timing, balance, and rhythm. Uh, especially those things are, are crucial to me being able to be accurate. The escapability and the plays outside the pocket uh, are kind of natural uh, abilities that I've uh, developed over the years uh, through uh, reactions and instincts. But the things that you can really, uh, really hone in on as you're watching yourself, you know, all those things I just mentioned, the, uh, you know, the rhythm and the, and the, and the drop, the balance and the footwork, uh, the timing and the accuracy are things you can really work on and, uh, and try and hone. And I've, I really tried to do that over the years. Is it a noticeable difference? In other words, when you see film of yourself five years ago, 10 years ago, would an average NFL fan be able to tell, or is it just something that just an expert can see? I think it'd be more that an expert can see, to be honest with you. I mean, there's fundamentals uh, with my footwork that I've uh, picked up over the years and worked on, but um, the release point is, is uh, very similar. The accuracy is similar. The escapability is, is uh, very similar. It's just uh, done at an even higher level. You know, you have to uh, really think about your areas where you're not as strong and, and improve those every year and then make sure you're, you're doing the little things too. So every year... Uh, you know, I pick a couple of things that I really want to want to improve on from the previous year that I struggled with or need improvement on, and and, uh, and really try and go after those and, and just continue to add to the repertoire. You know, a few years ago it was the the ball handling on uh, on all the play actions, and um, you know before that it was uh, throws to the left at full speed, and before that it was uh, balls outside the numbers, uh, you know, over 42 yards. So it's it's things that can really uh, separate yourself and, and, and make you have a, a great year. You need to really pick a few of those every year and, and uh, really work on them uh, in the offseason. I'm fascinated by this. I really am. And, and I think there's a lot of parallels that you could make between what you're talking about and shooting a basketball. I mean, it's one thing to 
to be a great shooter or to say so-and-so is a great shooter, but to actually understand the preparation and the work that goes into that. You know, for me, I, I'm better coming kind of to my right off of pin downs and I'm better off the dribble coming to my right. And so, you know, every off season, it seems like I'm, I'm working on getting to my left, uh, planting differently, the footwork behind it. You know, it's not just like you get to sit in the pocket with no pressure and guys are running routes and you just hit them in the numbers. It, it's not like I'm just standing at the three point line and catching a basketball and shooting it. There's so much that goes into it. That's why I'm asking those questions because I'm completely fascinated by it. Yeah, I would say that, you know, some people do practice that stuff. But it sounds like, you know, that uh, you and I, you know, when we work uh, on our stuff, we work in an imperfect environment. And that's what I've talked about a lot is, well, what do you do, you know, when you got pressure? What I love watching, and I think a great parallel is for me, you know, I know when I'm running full speed right or left where I have to aim the football and how much my momentum, yeah. you know, affects the throw. When you are coming off a screen full speed and you have – body movement is going, you know, either to the left or to the right, you know exactly where you have to aim that shot in order to get it to go in. And I'm, I'm fascinated by that, how you guys can square your shoulders properly, but also you have to adjust your aim because your body momentum is going to affect the shot. Am I right? You're totally right. The other thing that you talked about is just the pressure. So from my standpoint, if I'm coming off a screen or a pin down and my momentum is carrying me a certain way, I've got to factor that in. I've also got to factor in you know, where my defender is, where the help defender is, and kind of where their contest is going to be. And similar to you, you know, you have to factor in, you know, the guy who's covering your receiver, the the lineman or the linebacker who's putting pressure, where his hand in. So there is there is so many things that go into this imperfect environment, as you put it. It's really fascinating. So, you, you know, in a way, someone could potentially practice really well and, and become a specialist like a shooter or you know a, a guy who can throw a football really well but you know to be able to do it in these imperfect environments is really what the challenge is and and so for me I'm thinking back earlier in our conversation you know I, I know guys that can shoot the basketball well if if they're in a shooting drill and they take 25 spot shots and they can make 22 or 23 but you know they're 30 percent shooters in a game and, and similar I'm sure for you you've seen quarterbacks who can you know, throw rockets and, and then you get them in a game and there's pressure and there's movement and there's there's great cornerbacks and there's all these things that are working against them and they can't function at a high level. Exactly. And, and that's that's always the uh, interesting thing. That's what makes sports so dynamic. It's really, it, it really is fascinating. My next question to you, um, you know, I've been on, geez, 10 years in the NBA. I've been on 10 playoff teams. I would, I would say on on five or six of those teams, I've really thought, okay, we have a legitimate chance at a championship. But basketball is a little different than football. You know, basketball we play, we play seven game series in the playoffs. It's it's usually pretty clear by this time of year, you know, the teams that are, you know, capable and and kind of positioned to to win a championship. As a full time starter. Have you ever gone into a season and not thought you could win a championship? There, there's more parity in the NFL. It's a, it's a one-game thing. I'm assuming this year you're going, and you guys have had some great teams that have fallen a little short in the playoffs recently, but are, are you going into every season thinking, oh, we, we can win a championship? Definitely am. You know, definitely am. Uh, but it's interesting, you know, that the team we had in 2010 that actually won the championship was not the best team I've been on. 
and that's the the beauty of of sports and and especially our sport in a one and done uh, type format is that you have to play your best when your best is needed and uh, we haven't at times uh in 2010 we did you know and we were at six seed we snuck in the playoffs the last two weeks of the year you know we beat philly at philly we beat atlanta who's the number one seed and we beat chicago and then we won the super bowl against Steelers, we come back the next year, we won our first 13 games. You know, we were feeling ourselves pretty good. But that team uh, was probably more talented but didn't have the uh, the mental toughness and, and the ability to handle success in the right way that year. We came back the following year, had a really good team, felt good that we could win the championship and you know, had a tough loss to AP in the end of the season and ended up uh, having to go on the road uh, you know, in the second round and lost to the team eventually when up going on the Super Bowl. Um, and then the year after that felt good. Uh, last year felt like we had the, you know, team that could make a run as well. It, it just, you know, you have to have a little bit of good fortune with the injuries, and then you just you cannot have an average game in the postseason. And uh, you know, we've just not been able to put it all together. Or uh, as we saw last year, we just, you know, we had because maybe talent wise, we weren't the most talented team in the playoffs. We had to play a perfect game to win uh, against Arizona, and we didn't do it. All right, as an NFL legend, I know that you don't have to worry about getting a good seat for games, but obviously not all of us are so lucky. It can be really tough getting a seat to a game or a concert that's in town, especially for a good price. That's why the best place to go when you need tickets is SeatGeek. I'm telling you, it's the only place I ever go to buy tickets to a game or concert. You'd be crazy not to try it. They make it so easy. I mean, there's virtually no hassle in getting the exact seats you want, and it's pretty cool how they do it too. They pull all the tickets available on other sites into one place so you save time and never miss a deal. You can even set alerts for upcoming events, and they'll let you know if ticket prices fall. Even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is ranked based on value, so you can immediately find underpriced seats. And before you buy, you can use SeatGeek's detailed maps to see the view from your seat. See what I mean? Easy and painless. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and I use it all the time because it's simple and it works. Oh, and best of all, SeatGeek is always honest and upfront about the price. They show you the full ticket price from start to finish and never try to trick you with huge fees on the checkout page. Now, pay attention to this next part because it's really important. My listeners get a $20 rebate off their first SeatGeek purchase. That's 20 bucks right in your pocket. And to get it, all you have to do is this. Download the free SeatGeek app, go to the Settings tab, and click Add a Promo Code. Then enter promo code JJ. SeatGeek will then send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. It doesn't get any easier, so go support them like they support this podcast. Download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code JJ today. You're listening to The Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. So in, in basketball, we have you know 13 to 15 guys on the team. Um, we all have to play offense and defense and you know everybody. You know you're you're together all the time. You you ride on the buses. If it's a meeting, it's a team meeting, and all thirteen to fifteen guys are there. Football is a little different in terms of offensive, defense, and then the, the specialized groups within uh, those units. Are you ever at the facility and you see someone that's on your team and you're like, who is that guy? Like, there's so many of y'all. It, maybe he's a defensive player that just got signed. Like, it, what's the dynamic like between offense and defense in the NFL? That's a great question. I don't think I've ever had that question before. Um, the best way to explain that is that I know everybody on the team, 
come the season. But in the off season, we pick up like 30 guys. We draft, you know, we'll draft to 10 or 11, and we add about 20 free agents. So there's a good portion of the, uh, you know, from April to June and even beginning of training camp where you don't, you might not be able to uh, answer everybody's name right on the quiz. But I think part of being a leader is, is to really get to know your teammates and uh, you need to understand their personalities and what makes them tick and what kind of, uh, you know, encouragement or criticism uh, works best to get the most out of them. So, I really make it a point to to get to know those guys and to learn a little bit about them. To, to you know, at times if needed, to study up on them and you know know something about their background that uh, that's important. Because uh, the closer you are connected as a team, uh, that, you know that chemistry can often uh, be an undervalued part of a championship season. So, knowing your teammates, um, knowing the guy next to you, believing in them, spending time with them. Uh, you know, I think that's an important part of, of being a good teammate. Uh, we hang out a lot together. We're a, a very close team. Uh, we're actually, a lot of us are going to the Kentucky Derby in a couple weeks. You know, we uh, we do some trips in the off season. It's a pretty uh, tight knit group. But to wrap it all up with your question, you know, we had 90 guys on the team in, in two weeks, especially now being the, the longest tenured Packer. Uh, there's some new guys every year, so you really got to play some catch up at times with names, but. Um, I have a little bit of a strategy with that. I, I try and either give a guy a nickname or just continually saying that person's name over and over. It can kind of burn in your brain. But there's so many nicknames around the facility. That's what we joke about sometimes. But, you know, with trainers and equipment guys, I guarantee even the guys who've been around the team for six, seven, eight years probably don't know the real names of, you know, our uh, director <laughs> of, uh, of right. medicine or our, uh, you know, equipment guy. One of the equipment guys, head, right. Head right. equipment guy, you know, because, you know, that's red or that's T-bone. But you know, nobody knows his name is Tom Bakken or, you know, Gordon Batty. Uh, they just know him as, as red and T-bone. And it kind of happens sometimes with some of the guys. Uh, you mentioned you you study up on your teammates. Have you ever Googled one of your teammates to find out some background info on them? All the time. I do a presentation <laughs> on Saturday mornings where I kind of go over the last uh, details about the game on Sunday, some checks I'm thinking about, some final reminders that will just come from me, not from the coaches. And every single week I have to find some sort of, this is my own personal thing, it's not a requirement, but i got to find some sort of humor in the presentation. So I am frequently perusing their uh, social media pages any articles uh, that are about them, I make sure they're flagged and sent to me. I have a couple people uh, on the in the building that will help me if they find a, you know a, a funny article or a picture from their past. But uh, you know these guys, everybody's got their own uh, social platform. They get their Instagram, their their Twitter, and uh, you, you. I mean, you wouldn't be surprised, or maybe the comments fan would be surprised with some of these some of these guys decide uh, tweeting and and uh, taking pictures about. So I'm always looking for those. Uh, Little anecdotes to uh, to roast the guys a little bit. <laughs> it seems like a big time commitment, to be honest with you. To be an NFL quarterback, it seems like a, a very big time commitment. That's why they pay us the big bucks, buddy. <laughs> I recently, a few weeks ago, hit my first buzzer beater as an NBA player, like winner, you know, game winner. It was uh, it was it was quite the scene. Very cool feeling. You've done this, I'm sure, numerous times in your career. You, oh, th- I didn't thank have your you. Number. Well, we just exchanged phone numbers a few days ago, so now we got it. All right. So, my question, though, is just describe the feeling of a Hail Mary. You had, a, I think, two this year, right? That one game. So, like, what, what is that feeling like? It's got to be just one of the best feelings ever. Yeah, it, you know, it really is. Uh, that's the silver lining to the season. It's frustrating as it was at times with the injuries we had and the disappointing losses. 
And we had two of the highest highs that you're ever going to have in the sport. Uh, you know, at Detroit with no time uh, on the clock, you know, for the line to give me some time, and Richard came down with it. Uh, you know, I, I was telling, actually, I was sitting next to Richard today after a workout and just went over to him, and they, they were replaying uh, games like they always do in the, in the cafeteria for us. And the Hail Mary was on, so I stopped and kind of watched uh, that last play. And I just went, you know, and I saw him in the locker room. I said, man, I could watch that play over and over. And he said, so could I. You know, it's just that amazing, euphoric feeling after the game where, you know, I describe it sometimes as, as, as almost blacking out. The excitement is so overwhelming. Uh, it's hard to remember exactly what you were thinking or what you're even doing as you're running around celebrating uh, with nobody as I was uh, shortly after that play. And the second one was, uh, I was almost in shock, to be honest with you. Uh, a lot of stuff happened in the game. We just did a fourth and 20 a few plays before. Basically, uh, you know, last play of the game. And, to, you know, to be able to get that ball off as I was knocked to the ground, all I could see was Giannis down there, and he had a couple guys around him. And when he came up with the ball, I mean, it was, uh, I was, I was just in shock. Because I think we'd already had it happen. I knew it wasn't to win the game. Uh, I knew we still had to kick an extra point or go for two there to try and win it. But it was incredible. It's hard to explain. I mean, it's unless you've had it, 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 it is hard. It is hard to explain. It was. It was a little surreal. I, I talked about it on my podcast when I when it happened. But it was like a little surreal. It was almost like you know, what should I do? There was almost that moment where you want to celebrate by yourself. Apparently, you did. The equivalent to me, though, like a last-second touchdown where a guy's you know running three yards, or you're you're tossing at fifteen yards in the end zone, like that's one thing. But like a hail mary, that specifically like the two that you had this year, it'd be like me getting a steal with three seconds to go down two and shooting it backwards from the opposite foul line, and that going in like that is is how I mean I, it's a little bit of luck, I would assume too, to actually complete those passes. There is, you know, I'm not going to deny that. I will say those were two of the greatest throws in my career. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. But the beauty is that I'm sure you would probably say about your shot is those are throws that I've worked on in an imperfect environment yeah. where you're working yeah. on a last second scenario and you kind of deke the line one way, you roll out the other way, and you, you throw it as, as high and as far as you can. We'd actually worked on those types of throws in pregame. Richard and I ended up coming down with the ball. And then the second throw is a throw that I 100% have, have worked on in practice. And that scenario, I was actually, as I was going through my, my weekly visualization that I do, I was actually visualizing that exact situation where we had to have a last play to the end zone and they bring pressure. And I adjust the protection, adjust the back, and then roll and throw it to my left. So, I mean, it's one of those things where it's so incredible when it happens and uh, iconic, but it goes back to things that you've worked on, thought about, and practiced in those imperfect environments or in those training habits that give you the confidence that uh, good things are going to happen. That's awesome. All good stuff, man. All right, this week's 4-on-4 for Aaron Rodgers is the four best quarterbacks to not win a Super Bowl. And you're going to be doing the majority of the talking here because you're the expert. So give me your four best quarterbacks to never win a Super Bowl. I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to start with Dan Marino. I think Dan was one of the most talented quarterbacks uh, to ever play. He just went to one Super Bowl in his second year, the year that he set the now broken record for touchdowns in the season. He threw 48 that year, and they lost to the Niners, actually, in that Super Bowl. I think it was 84. 
and then he never never got back to it. Uh, so I'm going to say him. Uh, you know, he's definitely in the in the four. Second is is one of the hardest luck Super Bowl cases in history. Jim Kelly. They went to uh, I think it was four straight and yeah. lost. I was rooting for the Buffalo Bills in all of those games too. Yeah, I, loved, I was uh, I, too as a Niners fan when they're playing the Cowboys. You have to root <laughs> yeah. against the Cowboys. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, Scott Norwood missing that field goal was uh, very disappointing. But uh, but Jim definitely one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play. And, and uh, 0-4 in the Super Bowl is not indicative of the type of player that he was and how what he did in that K-Gun offense really revolutionized uh, the NFL and a lot of the same characteristics of that offense is actually in the offense that we run today and other teams do as well. Third, I'm going to say it's tough, uh, but I'm going to say Warren Moon. Warren had an incredible career spanning over 20 years, I believe, counting the uh, – I think he was in the CFL and the USFL and the NFL. He was in a few leagues, yeah, yeah. One he, of those he, FLs. He was, he was all over the place. He was in at least two yeah. leagues, and he passed yeah. for an incredible amount of yardage and touchdowns, and he led great offenses, especially in Houston uh, with the uh, run and shoot down there um, with all his uh, backs and receivers. And uh, they just had a, you know, were up against some tough teams in the 90s there, the uh, – the Bills, that was when the Bills were making their run every year, and they never made it to the Super Bowl. So I'm going to say Warren third. And then I'm going to throw in a little bit of a curveball maybe, but a guy I have a lot of respect for, and that's Phil Rivers. Wow. And Phil okay. got drafted the year before I did, so he's going into his 13th year this year. He's had a spectacular career. And uh, I don't know that they've even been to the uh, AFC Championship game, but, but he's never won a Super Bowl. And I hope that changes at some point for him, not against us. Hopefully, but uh, but I hope he gets an opportunity because I think he's been a guy who's played at a really high level for a long time. If you look at the stats, I think he's like 11th all-time in touchdown passes uh, for the NFL uh, NFL history. So you're talking about a guy who's played at a high level for a long time and, and hasn't uh, been in the Super Bowl. So I think, I think that's a good four. I put that four up against anybody. The couple outliers, I had Fran Tarkenton possibly and Dan Fouts, um, who, uh, who both never won a Super Bowl. Fran went to, I think, two – didn't win, and Dan leading the Chargers offense was extremely efficient, but never went to the Super Bowl. You're a student of the game. I'm literally looking up all this stuff right now, and everything you say about these guys is is pretty spot on. So, a great quarterback and a great NFL historian, apparently. Aaron, I can't thank you enough for giving me all the time. Great conversation today, and uh, thanks again for coming on the episode. Thanks, buddy. I'll be uh, pulling for you, and then I hope you guys uh, can pull all together. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. We'd like to thank today's guest, Aaron Rodgers. Remember to subscribe and listen to new and archived episodes wherever you listen to the podcast. Please tweet me at JJ Reddick for any questions and comments. I'd also like to thank our sponsors, SeatGeek, Mac Weldon, and Indochino. Be sure to support them the way they support us. We'll catch you next week. This has been a digital media production. Find your voice.